Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back once again to another episode of the Truth Defender podcast. We are coming to you from the greatest country in the world, the great state of Texas, uh, deep in the heart of the Lone Star State, Dallas, Texas, more specifically. Um, if you guys aren't already a subscriber, please consider hitting that subscribe button for us as well as the like button. Uh, that'll help us out with the algorithms as well. Also, uh, don't forget to hit that bell icon so you guys get notified every time we go live or post a new video, which we're going to be doing a lot more here uh, in the next couple of weeks. We've got about four or five interviews, I believe, coming up. Um, so those are going to be scheduled and put up, and uh, we'll be seeing you guys live as well. Um, if you guys are on the go and you want to check us out, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio and Amazon Music at Truth Defender Podcast. Uh, if you guys really enjoy what we do here on the show um, and you feel like sharing us with a friend or colleague or somebody, maybe not somebody at work, but uh, anybody else, uh, go ahead and share that link to our show as well, uh, whether that be YouTube or anything else. Um, if you have any questions for myself or a guest, as well as guests or topic recommendations, as always, you can shoot us an email at thetruthdefender1776 at gmail.com. Um, today we're going to be speaking with uh, an author as well, um, Mr. Matthew Gilman. Now, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, it's been a few years, that's been more than a few years actually, um, the journalist that was killed and everybody said that um, he was like an accident, right? Um, Michael Hastings. So I remember hearing the story on the news a lot and it was a big thing at the time. Um, but it was kind of swept under the rug as an accident. Nothing really to look at, nothing to see here. Uh, everybody move along, right? Um, but we all kind of knew at the time, at least I did, and kind of the circles that we all run in, that there was more to the story. Um, and But we never really got any kind of answers for anything. Um, don't think we ever really will, which is unfortunate, but uh, we are going to be plugging away here and trying to see if we can kind of piece things together um, so I'll go ahead and bring in um, Mr. Gilman so that way he can introduce himself and then, you know, kind of let you guys know what's going on. So without further ado, Mr. Gilman, how you doing, sir? I am doing good. How are you? Uh, not too bad. I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, so we're going to be diving into uh, your latest book or yeah, so the latest book is The Last Journalist, The Life and Times of Michael Hastings, right? But you got a new one coming out on the 31st. Um, can you kind of go into detail a little bit, or maybe not too much, I don't want to give it away, but what that latest book's going to be about and where they can go ahead and pick that up when it comes out? Uh, the new book is uh, A Crash in the Night, The Assassination of Duncan Lump. Um, if... Uh, there is a lot of stuff that happened in 2020, but uh, back in March of 2020, uh, there was a raid on a house. Uh, it was around the same time Brianna Taylor had her apartment raided by the police and she was killed. And uh, a similar thing happened to Duncan Lump. Uh, the only difference was that people still talk about Brianna Taylor and Duncan Lump was kind of uh, just kind of forgotten. Uh, he didn't really fit the narrative of what was going on that year um uh, you know what i mean and um anyways uh, he came up because of a fbi uh leaked memo uh earlier this year uh actually it was a couple months ago where his name was listed as um one of the topics that if people are discussing this guy uh that you might be a terrorist. So uh, okay. I recognized the name. Uh, couldn't really put my finger on like how I knew it. So I started doing a little bit of research and realized that there was a story there and um, uh, just kept plugging along. And uh, there was a lot of information available and uh, a lot of new information was coming out too. interviews with his, uh, his girlfriend, uh, reports that were released by the sheriff's department. And so I uh, was able to piece a lot together from the information that was available. And uh, I really wanted to put together a, a better uh, narrative as to what exactly happened that night and what led up to it. Sure. Yeah. 
it's it's kind of a weird um obviously we all kind of know what was happening and how spicy things were at the time of like George Floyd and all that kind of stuff but um it's kind of weird like people kind of fall through the cracks as you know there was other cases and such that that were happening at the time and and um we don't really hear about anything else besides what was like on the news at the time um which is unfortunate but um you know it kind of doesn't fit what you know what they were going for at the time so that's unfortunate but um yeah so it's now so we're going to come back around here so when did the last book come out so that would be the last journalist the life and times of michael hastings uh that came out earlier this year um i recorded a, a couple of interviews for that as well but they haven't been released yet and um i've been trying to plug it and then i just kind of went on to the next project and um unfortunately uh it just seems like uh this is a story that people i uh it, it's almost like people are meant to forget it but um sure. it, it comes up re- occasionally on podcasts like joe rogan and uh tim pool mentioned it a couple weeks back on his show and uh when i went to research this book um i noticed that a lot of his previous article hastings articles were like slowly disappearing online um had to go to ebay and start uh, finding specific copies of rolling stone and uh newsweek in order to even get his articles um the internet is not forever (laughs) and right uh i'm quickly learning that with uh one of my current projects that i'm working on that there's just stuff that has completely disappeared unless somebody bothered to print it out back in the day and stash it away Uh, but with uh, hastings there's still a lot that's available Uh, i was really surprised uh, the original footage of the car accident uh, was available Uh, a lot of his interviews um, and uh, he did write three books four books technically one is only available in uh, ebook format and that was his panic 2012 when he covered the uh, Obama re-election campaign and um, nobody, everybody refused to put it in print um, just because, you know, Obama did win and he didn't put the guy in a very favorable light. So um, yeah, he, he was a guy that definitely um, he had a, a grudge, a very understandable grudge. I don't know where you want me to start with his story, but uh, he was definitely somebody that uh, had a very quick change of view when it came to uh, government and how it functioned. Sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, we can, I guess we can kind of start a little bit about where actually, you know, Hastings kind of rose through and where he came from, but I guess, so this is one of the things that I, that I always try to not try to start off with, but, it kind of sets a little picture of what for me personally, where I'm going to be kind of heading down, down the road. So I would ask, do you, or did you ever think in the past prior to, you know, to kind of like investigating what kind of what happened, did you ever think that he was part of the whole like Clinton body count? Did that ever kind of cross your mind? Uh, I joke about that in the book because uh, he did cover Hillary Clinton running in 2008. And uh, obviously she didn't get the nominee nomination. Right. Um, he, he covered, he covered a few people, Mike Huckabee, Hillary Clinton, uh, everybody except for Obama. Nobody anticipated that Obama was going to be the front runner for, for that right. election. And so when he, covered hillary um he liked mike huckabee uh but as for hillary he he started off by saying that she was kind of that cool mom Mm. in high school you go to your friend's house and she's the one that didn't even want to hang out with the friend you want to hang out with her (laughs) (laughs) uh but that quickly changed because uh her campaign the people that ran it uh were very aggressive towards general journalists um they made no accommodations for the people covering the campaign uh they had insane requests like wanting to 
uh, read the articles that they were writing before they were published. Um, they would put specifications as to what could be in it and what couldn't be. Uh, right. There was one point where they were covering a, um, a debate and he was in the bathroom with a laptop on top of the urinal trying to type up his story uh, as the debate was happening because they, they weren't allowed in the area because there was no um, planning ahead of time for where her journalists were going to be. And um, uh, he said that by the end of it, uh, there was a bunch of comments, um, racist comments that she made about Obama at the time. And that really killed his uh, ideas to who she was. Um, he really wanted to get off the campaign at that point. And um, he stated uh, it's not an exact quote. I'm trying to remember what he said, but he basically said that they were the biggest bunch of a-holes on the campaign trail that he ever came across. And uh, that was all in print. So right. uh, if, if she held a grudge, <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I can think of where. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's weird. It's kind of uh, like, you know, obviously Hillary was, was the, like the main front runner in everybody's eyes at the time um when obama had won the presidency i was see when did he he was eight and 12 so i was in the military at the time and i didn't know who obama was like at all i didn't know where he came from i had never heard of him like what he was about but all of a sudden he was just like our commander-in-chief and imposing all these crazy like laws and, and like things that we had to abide by i, I guess like they were like first contact rules, like of engagement that we had to go by, like overseas in Afghanistan. Some crazy ones that we were just like, "What's going on?" Like you couldn't have your rifle loaded, and you couldn't have the magazine and the thing, and like you couldn't have it charged, and couldn't shoot anybody unless you were shot at first. It was just like all these crazy <laughs> things, and I was just like, "Who is this guy?" Like, like those when that was happening like when he first became president i had no idea who he was it was crazy how he just kind of like appeared out of nowhere and all of a sudden he was our president and, and shit just rolled downhill from there but like yeah i mean i can only imagine the kind of things that are like the kind of threats that he was receiving not just from the obama campaign but specifically from hillary clinton and you know all the weird and spiteful stories you hear from her about people that are like in the secret service that they would get shit thrown at them and they would get cussed at and all kinds of crazy things. I mean, I have no doubt that any of that was true. Like, you know, I, I can only imagine somebody that's actively going after her, what, you know, what kind of crap they get thrown at, at them. So it's pretty wild. <laughs> um, yeah. But so I guess, I guess we can kind of start, you know, from the beginning and just kind of how he ended up, I guess cutting his teeth as as far as a reporter. I know you said that he was um like overseas and he was actually covering like like war zones and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I guess we can kind of like start from the beginning a little bit and just kind of roll into how he actually ended up covering the elections at at that time. Uh yeah, the elections was really uh that that was kind of like a in between phase for him. Uh, he started out at Newsweek and quickly realized that the audience they had there wasn't really um, fit for his style. Uh, he would turn in these pieces and then he would open the magazine later to find out that all the things that he thought was interesting were completely cut out. It was just very mm -hmm. dry and generic. Uh, so he started requesting to go over to Iraq and they spent a year, Newsweek did, uh, having him go through all this training and stuff uh, for preparing him to go into a war zone. And lo and behold, he's being sent over. Um, but two or three days before he's supposed to go overseas, he meets this girl, uh, Annie uh, Parmovich, and they start seeing each other. Uh, he goes over to Iraq. He He only goes over there for short stints, and then he comes back to the States, and then as they started seeing each other, she started to get jobs to where she's going over to Iraq and that way they could still be together while they're both doing their jobs. Um, he writes about this and I lost my love in Baghdad and he had been going 
over there from 2003 to 2007. And so Annie goes over there. Uh, she's working for the Republican. Um, I forget the name of it. It was something uh, dealing with the Republican Party. And then she ends up getting hired by the DNC. And her job is to help organize the new government that's going to be taking control of Iraq. Um, unfortunately, the, the organization that she got the job for was very unorganized. They were not familiar with Iraq or specifically Baghdad in general. Uh, she goes into this bad neighborhood where everybody in the green zone knew that you just don't go there, but she's supposed to meet with these people. She has the meeting and as she's leaving the meeting and the, uh, the convoy, uh, the convoy comes under attack and they believe that it was initially supposed to be a kidnapping, but it quickly turned into um, her car was hit by um, several hundred rounds of bullets. The one of the bodyguards broke the seat to get into the back seat to cover her. The driver got out of the car and abandoned them at the scene. They, there was speculation he might have been involved in it. Um, they couldn't get the car open. And so the, the people trying to get her out through grenades under the car, igniting the gas tank, and uh, she ended up burning alive in the vehicle. Hastings was over there at the time that this happened. And there's some obvious regret that he had. He talks about it in the book, um, wishing that he had died with her, that he had, that he would have been the one that would have been protecting her at that time. Um, he ended up flying back with the body and this was in cargo planes where there were several other, uh, coffins that were being shipped back to the states and he never ended up stepping foot in iraq ever again uh he took some time off after that and ended up writing his book and that was uh according to his family that was like his way of uh of therapy through the event trying to make some sense of it but there was also there was a time period where he was like basically investigating as to how this happened because he had spent two years at that point in Iraq and he couldn't for the life of him figure out how they didn't know the neighborhood was bad, how they didn't um, plan for the possibility of an attempted kidnapping, uh, why there wasn't more security. He had all these questions that just didn't make sense. So uh, he was definitely trying to blame or point the finger at somebody while also feeling guilty about this happening. They had just been uh, prior to this, maybe a week or two beforehand talking about he was going to get her a ring and they were going to get engaged and um, end up getting married. Um, but none of that ended up happening. Uh, There's also a, uh, a small controversy about when he got the, the book deal, it was um, a half million dollars up front. So there was people that were making comments about how he was profiting on the death of his fiance. And right. so it's, it's just all this guilt compounded um, over and over again at this one event and um, covering the 2008 election was, I think it was just one of those busy jobs that, uh, kept him from thinking about it. it you're constantly on the road you're constantly moving he's got to fill out all these reports all the time and uh that was one way to move past it yeah no it's rough i mean as as far as being i guess one of the other the only other kind of occupations that's extremely dangerous you know like being like an investigative reporter when it comes to the war and like I would see reporters embedded like overseas and like, you know, different battalions and like doing stories and they would, you know, they would get sent out with other groups and freaking convoys and stuff. And like, that's one job that as far as being like in war, I would never just want to be in a war zone without a weapon to protect myself. That's gotta be like the most helpless feeling like ever even when you're in the, like a war zone and you have a weapon, that's still like, 
one of like the shittier jobs out there but to be a reporter out there and like not have any kind of weapon you know to actually protect yourself and stuff like you're just like a sitting duck and like you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants and at the whims of like other soldiers or you know like other security details that are out there but yeah i mean it's rough i mean him being out there and i could definitely see why he would feel guilty you know he ought they obviously probably had a conversation at one point where they were kind of thinking about, you know, if she should go out there so they could spend more time together. And he probably kind of was like, yeah, you should come, you know, we can see each other more often. And then this ends up happening. So I'm sure he felt like shit afterwards, but um, that's, it's definitely like a, a rough pill to swallow, but um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird thing also that you speaking about that, you know, he was kind of shining a little bit of light on, Obama as far as you know stories that he was writing about him and stuff like that um i i guess one of like the bigger ones was was the, as far as like the illegal wiretaps on american journalists was was that kind of like a like one of like the bigger kind of stories that he was following or how the kind of that whole thing work out he was uh he was kind of at the the forefront for that um he called it the war on journalism uh, this came after his piece in Rolling Stone. Uh, he was doing a series of articles. Uh, one was uh, why Democrats love to spy on Americans. Uh, so 2013, that was the beginning of uh, Edward Snowden. Uh, his leaks were coming out. Uh, you already had um, Chelsea Manning. Uh, the leaks uh, that he or she depending on at the time uh that the, the, the stuff that he uh revealed to the public uh but there was also uh because of the leaks uh the doj and the nsa were working together to do uh warrantless wiretaps on journalists and it was specifically the journalists that either received um some of the information that was being leaked or people that they suspected were going to receive it. Uh, all of this was illegal at the time, uh, but information came out and Hastings was uh, very vocal about it. Uh, at the time that he died, he was working on a profile piece on John Brennan and John Brennan had just been brought into the CIA, but Come to find out, he was also behind the warrantless wiretaps that were happening at the DOJ. Uh, the guy has a really sketchy past. Um, you know, just coming into being the head of the CIA, uh, there was uh, the question of, you know, where all this was going to be heading. Um, and Apparently, Hastings had come across some information that he thought was going to be groundbreaking. We don't know if it was going to be about John Brennan or if it was about something else. Um, he sent emails out to friends and colleagues saying that uh, he he's onto a big story. And this was during his, uh, his time that he was working on the profile piece. Uh, but... Uh, there was other information that came out afterwards, after Hastings died. One of them was that uh, John Brennan was behind arming Al-Qaeda in Syria. Uh, there was also the creation of ISIS that was happening uh, around that time. So there's, there was a lot of things that Brennan was behind that were very, very sketchy um, that ended up being revealed later anyways. Uh, so it's unknown if the profile piece had anything to do with his death or not but the timing of it the fact that the fbi was investigating hastings at the time right. um the fact that they tried to hide that and even with a foia request uh that was uh, filed after hastings death to see if there was any paperwork or files that were being kept on hastings uh, even the, the file that was released was very questionable it just um when I was looking at it, it seemed to be very slapped together. It didn't make any sense. There, there really wasn't anything to it except for uh, a Rolling Stone piece that he had written um, prior um, about a defector in Afghanistan. 
there were some comments in the comments section for this article that were printed off. And then there was a little note at the end that was like, Hastings was behind the um, the firing of Stanley McChrystal. And it's like, you started a file for this article that nobody really remembers, but then you make this comment about how he was involved in the firing of this highly regarded and respected general who had just taken over in Afghanistan. Uh, so in my opinion, it was not the file and it was to really hide the fact that the FBI was investigating a journalist, which, uh, um, as we know now, uh, they're in the habit of doing, uh, they've, they've got files on all kinds of people. They probably have one on me. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, there's, there's lists for everything, um, nowadays. And I guarantee you a lot of people are on a lot of different lists right now. It's, it's pretty scary. I mean, they can keep tabs on you. So I guess like having, having worked in, so I have to be careful with my words here. So being in the military and having a secret, secret clearance and working with alphabet boys overseas and like dark black sites and stuff like that. So you'd be surprised on, on how well they can keep track of people that, that are like in country, people that are not in the country anymore, people that are leaving, who's coming in. It's just a phone call or maybe like an email away for some of these people. Like they they can have you on any kind of list and they can follow you no matter what you're doing. And it's just like a big freaking database whenever they hit on certain words or like certain context for whatever kind of things that you're looking into and you're just on somebody's radar now and they're just there and they just follow you as long as they want. It's real easy. Like it's, it's real easy. Um, I've seen a little bit of it firsthand, but it's not as far as like spying on people and stuff, but I, I've seen how, they can put you on a list and they can track, you know, what you're doing and like where to find you and stuff like that. It's, it's definitely scary. Er, yeah. That's, that to me is a lot scarier than like some freaking guy coming up to you, like, like in a back alley or something. Cause, cause they're watching you like 24 seven. They know what you're doing. Uh, even when you think you're asleep, you better turn off that freaking webcam in your room you better you know, do some kind of stuff because they're, they're watching you they're even watching on your phone too so mm-hmm. it's not it's not fun but you know especially when so like he's he's looking into stories and stuff about obama obviously uh all the spying on the journalists obviously he's looking into stuff about the kill list as well of like mm-hmm. terrorists and such um obviously he's snooping around into a lot of things that he shouldn't be and he's getting a lot closer to information you know sticking his nose where he shouldn't be um but like so that's kind of like when when it was revealed that those 20 journalists for for the associated press had their like phone subpoenaed right mm-hmm. at that time but like edwin edward snowden obviously who was famous for the nsa leaks uh said that the da the DOJ already had that information, meaning like they, it was illegal that they had that information. So it's like people, there's people above the law, which is even scarier. Like there's all this stuff, like as far as warrants and going by the book and all that stuff, that's for people like you and I. But <laughs> when, when it comes to governments and there's people that are above the president, because the president doesn't do shit. He's just a figurehead. We all know that. But like, these people don't have any rules. They make the rules and then they find ways to kind of go around them. If not, just completely break them all together. Um, and like, you know, what do you do about it? There's nobody to police the police. So um, that's, it's, it's scary. So obviously Edward Snowden, you know, kind of shines a light on that. lets them know that all this information on pretty much everybody around the world, they already have it. So you don't have to worry about it. Like you're already being spied on it happens every day and it's happened every day since. And it's even ramped up even more um, ever since nine 11, which is, was, you know, whatever people think about that, but that was an inside job, I think, but um, <laughs> uh, so I don't want to drag you into that's all, that's all on me, but that's just what I think. Um, now we've obviously had instances where we've had discussions about nine 11 and those videos are no mm-hmm. longer on YouTube for whatever reason they, you know, they cite things like hate speech and whatever, but, those videos no longer exist, so everybody can make up their own mind about that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so we'll so we get from 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 his time being overseas. Obviously, he's in the Middle East, 
Um, obviously, he comes back. He needs to take a break. And from there, he jumps into kind of the whole race and stuff. So what, I guess, does he kind of get assigned to Obama at that time? Just He just kind of gets like the short end of the stick and he's just out there, you know, doing reports on him or whatever. Is that is that kind of how that worked out? No, uh, I think a lot of it had to do with um, his treatment after uh, the Rolling Stone piece about Stanley McChrystal. Uh, and this kind of goes into that time period you were talking about being over in Afghanistan and the weird rules of engagement and uh, the things that were going on with that. Uh, the coin, the counter uh, insurgency uh, uh, method that they were trying to use to secure Afghanistan by not engaging or, or killing people, <laughs> even when you're being shot at. Mm-hmm. Um, so McChrystal takes over and Hastings uh, wants to do a profile piece on him. And it, it worked out well for Hastings because McChrystal kind of saw himself as like a rock star in the military. Um, he was a very Spartan, no-nonsense kind of guy, ran seven miles every day, ate one meal a day, uh, didn't need anything when it came to accommodations. It was just like a cot in his, the, the book that he was recently reading, um, carried nunchucks wherever he went. <laughs> like He was just a very eccentric guy, and the, the troops seemed to love him, uh, at least the guys that were around him. But then he's... He's over in Afghanistan trying to implement this new strategy of securing the country, and it's not going well. Uh, Hastings ends up meeting him in Berlin while um, McChrystal is trying to keep the allies in Afghanistan. Uh, it sounded like the French and the Germans were looking to pull out, and he was trying to reassure them that things were going in a positive direction. And uh, it was during that time. They ended up stuck at the airport. Uh, a volcano erupted. All flights were grounded. Uh, so Hastings is stuck with these guys. And they're not in a war zone, so they let loose. And they had a couple beers. And they're all talking shit. And um, it was all, in their mind, it was supposed to be off the record. And okay. Hastings looked at it as, this is the story. And... Uh, even the, the opening line for the article in Rolling Stone said that uh, Stanley McChrystal was facing the real enemy, which wasn't in Afghanistan. It was the people in the White House. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, the, so the piece was released and immediately McChrystal was called back to the States. Uh, Obama demanded his resignation. Um the, the troops and everybody were pissed. And there's one guy in particular, um, i trying to remember if his name, his name was the letter. He, Hastings never said who it was. He mentioned him in the operators. Um, I don't think he mentioned him in, in the, uh, the article, but this guy came to him and said, you know, if you screw us on this article, we'll, we'll fucking kill you. And um, he kind of took it as a joke. And, uh Anyways, uh, Obama specifically said when he went to the press conference that he, he, um, McChrystal resigned and it was due to the article in Rolling Stone. He specifically stated that and Hastings was kind of like, oh shit, like what really? And next you know, he's on CNN and Fox News and they're all wanting to know like, you know, who's this guy that wrote this piece? Um, Hastings gets a book deal out of it, and he later writes the operators. Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt writes, uh, buys the the movie rights for it, um, and that gets turned into War Machine on Netflix. Um, so Hastings definitely had like a future ahead of him, but he's also burning bridges as he goes along. After after the article comes out, he's putting in requests to be um, put with troops in Afghanistan, and the Pentagon's denying it, obviously. They're yeah. like, nope, no, no, uh, you're you're done doing that. So he gets stuck doing um, all kinds of other things where he's covering um, the NSA leaks. He's covering um, operations that the 
There was uh, one article he did on psyops that were being done on members of Congress uh, through the Pentagon. Uh, that was another piece that he did. So after after that article, he really got a hard on for Obama and the Ob- Obama administration, and he felt uh, there was one point where he was talking about. Uh, how everybody had that hope and change sensation with right. Obama. And then he ends up being worse than the previous guy. <laughs> and so uh, that was very eye opening for him. And um, I think it, I think at that point he was very liberal beforehand, especially when he was in Iraq. And then after that is slowly changed to, I don't trust any of these assholes. And um yeah kind of saw it in a lot of the, the pieces that he was writing. Yeah. Now, yeah, it's, I can definitely understand that whole kind of switch. So obviously I, I mentioned that we didn't really know who Obama was when he first came in. I, and I had no idea. I mean, at that time I wasn't really into like politics all that well, but obviously you know who the president is, like who's running for president that year or whatever. But like, I didn't. I, 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 at that time, I didn't know at all, like who was running for president or anything like that. I obviously didn't know anybody like on the Republican side. But you would always just hear like Hillary Clinton, like she was supposed to be the president, and that was just it. Like everybody was just like, oh yeah, she's going to be the president, and you know whatever, blah blah. Just like she was in 2016, she was supposed to be the president, and that didn't work out either. But like, <laughs> thank God. But it's it's um all of a sudden he like he's in right so. He wasn't what everybody was expecting. Everybody was expecting big things out of him. Obviously, he didn't deliver on pretty much any of it, um, depending on who he talked to. And people would do all kinds of mental gymnastics to say that he was the greatest president ever and all kinds of stuff and blah, 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 which is fine. Like, people look at it, you know, they have their own biases and stuff like that, and they want to believe what they believe. But um, we're looking at policies here folks and you know what what you've done for the country and what you know what you're going to do for the country blah blah but obviously that you know that whole thing didn't pan out but so we want to so i guess we can kind of jump a little bit ahead to like i guess the night of um when you know kind of when everything kind of happens so i remember reading the book and for everybody that wants to pick up the book um, let's just go ahead and let them know exactly where they can find that actually um, can they get that on the website or do they go through Amazon for that? Uh, through Amazon. Okay. And it's, so the, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, it's available in print and ebook format and all my ebooks are two ninety nine. So I don't really right. feel right charging more than that for <laughs> something you don't physically have. So <laughs> sure. Sure. No, no worries. Yeah. It's so it's a, a very easy read for everybody. Um, it actually goes into a lot of detail as well. So, that day that you sent it to me, I actually read through it. Like, in, I think it took me like a couple hours just to read through it. Um, obviously, you can if you're sitting there and you're reading through it straight through, you probably finish it like in an hour. You know, so it's not like a long book or anything, but it has a lot of information in it. Um, so you can find that book um, on Amazon as well as the new book that's going to be on Amazon as well. Um, and then, uh, if you guys want to check out his work, you can go to thecollapseexperiment.com. Um, we'll have all the links and everything down below in the show notes for everybody so you guys can get there faster. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll kind of jump ahead a little bit, obviously. So um, kind of take us through some of the oddities that happened um, that night, because I, I think one of like the major things that I was, or like one of the main things that caught my eye when I was reading was the fact that on the night of, he had actually gone to his neighbor's house and asking if he could borrow his car. Um, that whole thing kind of stuck out to me. So that obviously kind of, when somebody reads that at face value, you, you kind of think like maybe he thinks that people are tracking him in his car or they're doing something to his car. But I guess we'll kind of just start from the beginning and, and just kind of go over the events of that night. Okay. So the, the night before, uh, the day before, he sends out an email to friends and colleagues. Um, it was one specific email, and then it was um, carbon copied to a bunch of different people. And it was stating that the FBI was 
was interviewing people that knew him. Uh, there was a message to uh, a couple of news agencies that he was working with to not, not talk to the FBI if they showed up about how they operate. Uh, uh, and then he finished it off by saying that he was on to something big and that he needed to leave town for a little bit. Uh, around that same time, uh, his brother came into town, uh, flew from New York to L.A., and was staying with him, trying to convince him to go into rehab. Uh, his family believed that he was having a, a mental breakdown similar to one that he had at the end of high school. Uh, they, they thought that he was acting very paranoid. They thought it had to do with drugs, um, stuff that he admits that he was into uh, 10 years prior. But he was also sober. He had been sober. The only relapse that he had for a short period of time was drinking on the 2012 campaign trail, um, which was kind of understandable under the circumstances. Sure. Um, but, uh, and they didn't find any alcohol in the system after when they did the autopsy. Um, but uh, yeah, so the day prior, he sends an email out to these people. Uh, he also contacted the lawyer for WikiLeaks, uh, letting them know that he was being investigated by the FBI. Uh, he had also noticed that his car was acting funny, and he owned a Mercedes Coupe 250, which is a, a smaller car, but it was brand new. Uh, there's... Nobody really knows what he noticed. He did notice that there was something funny going on with his car. And nobody really knows what that was. But uh, the night before he died, um, his brother said that he went to bed just after midnight. But around 1230 in the morning, uh, he lived in a, I wouldn't say it was an apartment complex, but it was a, a, a building that was several floors. Um, there was the top level which was where he was at his neighbor below him. And then he had a studio that was below that where he did a bunch of the majority of his writing when he was working on projects. So at 1230, he knocks on his neighbor's door and says, I need to get out of town. Can I borrow your car? Mine is acting funny. I don't trust it. And the neighbor was like, well, my car is acting weird too. And uh, I don't trust anybody driving it. So it's unknown whether or not Hastings left right after that or not. But somewhere between 1230 and 4.20 in the morning, uh, there's a missing gap of time. We don't know what he was doing, if he was still at home, if he had left. Uh, it's just very odd that at 4.20 in the morning, he's still in L.A. Uh, he's just driving around town. And then he spotted going through a red light at an intersection. Uh, and this was by a night crawler that was sitting at a, uh, I believe it was a gas station or a convenience store parking lot. And the camera catches the car going through. Uh, a few minutes later, uh, the night crawler gets a, a call about a car accident. He goes to it and it ends up being the same car that he had caught on camera. Uh, he doesn't, of course, he doesn't know it's Michael Hastings or what the circumstances are, but uh, the video footage is still available on YouTube, uh, uncut, which is uh, pretty remarkable for uh, our time. But uh, the car was completely burst in the flames. The flames were going 15, 20 feet up in the air. Uh, the motor was ejected from the front of the car on impact. Um, you can still see Hastings' body slumped over in the front seat. Uh, totally engulfed in flames. Uh, there was video footage later that was captured of the accident uh, from a security camera. It's not the best footage, uh, but the the road that he that the accident happened on was a boulevard, and in the boulevard was a series of palm trees. Um, I want to say they were uh, 15, 20 feet apart. So if you're going at a high rate of speed and you just turn slightly to the left, odds are really good you're going to slam head on into one of these trees. Hmm. And uh, as the car is racing down the street at a high rate of speed, you see some sparks flying from underneath the car. 
then there's the impact. There's a series of two explosions, one after another. Uh, it's unknown as to what caused that, uh, why why the explosion happened that way. It could have just been one thing igniting something else, like the gas tank. Um, but there was speculation that there was a car bomb. There's speculation of uh, a conspiracy theory. I'm just going to say that because it obviously wasn't true that it was a, a drone strike. Sure. <laughs> that was one of the theories that, that came out. Um, there was a, a story and all of this comes from uh, one woman, uh, Kimberly DeBorjak. She, she covered the story for a bit after the accident, trying to keep it alive. But at the same time, she was just coming up with all these crazy, insane theories as to what happened and nothing to really back them at all. Sure. Uh, but uh, at one point she tried claiming that the motor was found behind the car. When obviously when you look at the video footage, <clears throat> it is in front of the car and, and you could tell where it traveled and how it got there. Uh but there were some other odd things about the accident as well in the report. Like they identified him through two things, uh, fingerprints uh, hmm. from a body that was completely engulfed in flames. Uh, I didn't know how credible that was. Uh, and his medical marijuana card that was found in his wallet. So, uh, hmm. you know, I haven't heard the theory yet that uh, Hastings wasn't in the car, but I'm I'm really surprised that one didn't come out. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things about when I hear that, especially when, like with the wallet thing, it's, it reminds me of like 9-11 where the only thing they found was the hijackers passports and, <laughs> and like the entire wreckage. And they were still like fine, kind of like a little chart on around the edges and stuff, but they were, you know, still there. You could read all the names and see the pictures and stuff. It's like, what? Come on. <laughs> That's absolutely crazy. But I mean, I was looking at the, at the videos, um, you know, that obviously that were in the book and like, I can see, and I can see like when he's kind of tearing through the intersection, um, it kind of looks like you ran a red light. And then I can see when police are kind of pulling up and, and the car's in flames, but, that whole thing is like, I mean, I guess if you're speeding, if you're like really speeding and you kind of hit something and maybe it hits like the gas tank and explodes, but I mean, for the most part, car wrecks, when you, when you crash, I mean, you don't burst into flames like that. So it's kind of a weird thing. I, I can see why, why people would think like maybe there was some kind of like a charge in the car or something or an explosion or something. Cause as soon as that car crashed, like it just kind of burst into flames, which was kind of a weird thing. But yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, the fact that so who was who was uh who was Staff Sergeant Joseph Briggs to him? Was was he just like a friend? It was a guy that he had met over in Afghanistan. And yeah. after he had been over there several times, um you know, you you meet people, you remain friends. They stayed in touch afterwards, so that was kind of like one of his military contacts that um, he uh, kept in touch with. And this was somebody that, after Hastings died, uh, went on TV. I I believe the interview is still available, uh, but he was the one saying like, "Hey, I got this email," and uh, you know, obviously something was going on with him. Uh, not him in particular, but uh, something was going on uh, where somebody was going after Hastings and he stated that he wanted to know what really happened to him. Um, so that was, um, that was something that was, that was brought up. Um, yeah. Briggs is one of the people that got the email. Uh, it's unclear. No one, no one else that I can think of really came out and discussed receiving the email except for the WikiLeaks lawyer. Um, and there was nobody that admitted that they were being interviewed by the FBI either. Um, so that kind of led to uh, the theory that Hastings was having a mental breakdown that um, that was kind of made up. But then, 
you know, as people were investigating afterward, it came out. Yeah, they they had a file on him. They were watching him. Uh, he was definitely involved in uh, some investigating some shady stuff. And uh, so there, there's two stories there, and there's evidence and credibility for both uh except i'm kind of leaning more towards uh something sketchy happened to him uh considering you know he had gotten remarried um he he had family that that cared about him he didn't there was the thought or the idea that was put out there that he did it on purpose that like this was his way of committing suicide but then again like why if that was the case why would he send out an email warning people like that this was going on or that he was leaving town or um if he was on something big like why would he just like completely ditch that and decide to do this instead um we'll never know like what was really going on in his head at the time uh there was uh an instance with him in high school uh, when he initially had a, a, a breakdown back then, his his father was a doctor, not a psychiatrist, but a, a medical doctor. And they believed that Hastings was um, uh, like, was it bipolar or manic depressant? Um, but he had this phase, he was really in the Hunter S. Thompson. So he was doing a lot of drugs and uh, a lot of partying senior year. <laughs> And uh, at one point, he stole the family car, crashed it into a tree. Um, There's another instance where uh, the police were uh, trying to apprehend him, uh, take him back home. And he pretended that he had a gun in his pocket, trying to get the police to shoot him. Um, hmm. But this is this is all from the family after the fact. And it's unclear uh, whether any of this is credible or true. I'm sure there's some truth to it. If his brother was visiting him from, uh, from New York, but at the same time, it's like they're, they were also treating him like he's still that teenage kid that uh, needs to be rescued by his family, even though he's 32 years old and remarried or not remarried, uh, married with a career doing all this stuff. And yet his brother says to the cops after the accident, like, don't be surprised if if you find cocaine in his apartment and it's like no drugs were ever found, you know. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, I come I come back for my for my brother if he says some stupid shit like that. <laughs> I'm like, bro, what's going on? Like, you know, you trying to set me up here? Like, but I, so like one of like the the crazier things that I that, that gets me every time is whenever you hear cases like this where people end up like killing themselves or supposedly killing themselves or they end up like in accidents and stuff like that. This is the fact that they like advertise information that they're going to be sharing. Like, Oh, I got this big story that I'm going to break and just like be on the lookout for this. Cause I've got something big. And it's the same thing that happened to like Andrew Breitbart and like mm-hmm. other people where they were just talking about like, Oh, I got like this giant case on, Obama and like just watch out for this stuff. It's gonna really blow the lid off of things. And it's like, bro, just just keep your mouth shut, dude, and just like, <laughs> let us know like what's happening. Like you don't have to advertise your crap because that's when they start looking into you more. And then things like this happen, and that's where we all get this thing. Like it's like a joke, but like kind of half-heartedly, where everybody says like, "Oh, I'm not suicidal. I'm not gonna kill myself." Like that's where that whole thing comes from. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're you're looking into shit, and then like you end up dead and then like we never know like what's going to happen or we never get the information. Um, and it's because of this stuff. And a lot of people think that it doesn't happen, but when you're dealing with like with high level people in the government, or you're trying to break stories of stuff that should never be, got, be out like in the public, there's nothing that they won't go and do to keep you from talking. Like people think like, Oh, you know, the government would never do that to us. It's just like, dude, like, are you are you serious? Like, you actually believe that? Like, these people, <laughs> these people don't care about you. Like, they don't know you. And even if they did, they would still kill their own their own mother, their own wife's husband, to keep like these secrets from coming out. It's just like you mean nothing to anybody. Like, it's no, they're gonna come after you. And 
And I feel like he knew a whole lot more than he actually let on. And he just made the mistake of kind of letting everybody know, you know, what was coming down the pipe. And he actually paid a, you know, he made the ultimate sacrifice because they, whether they did it or not, but he actually, you know, he actually died for it. So um, that's one of my pet peeves. Whenever I hear somebody say like, oh, I got this huge story coming out. Just like, man, if that guy doesn't end up, end up dead next week or something, like I'd, I'd be surprised, you know, it's, it's so dumb. <laughs> Just keep your mouth yeah. shut. Like, that's it. <laughs> the, the, the list of people like that, like uh, McAfee, you know, he had that wax yeah. tattoo on his neck and, uh terrence yiki that's somebody that i'm um that, that's how i came across your mm-hmm. podcast was uh you did a yeah. video on him and uh i've been researching that one lately uh duncan lum some of the stuff that he was working on uh that really um there's only a handful of people that knew about it but uh with the internet and everything these days it's like even I don't know if it's because he was, and this is Lemp. I don't know if it's because he was 21 and just young. He was really smart. He was really bright. He had a, a, he working on computer programming, doing all these different websites and stuff. But, uh, you know, he was bragging about this project that he was working on. I don't know if it was bragging, but, uh, you know, he was telling people about this project that he was working on, on Instagram and, um, there's some speculation about that as to if that had anything to do with it, but, um, yeah, there's this long list of people and, uh, there were several with Oklahoma city that, uh, were collecting information and that information disappeared. Uh, nine 11, there's a, <laughs> it, it, there's this long list of, of people that just, uh, you know, they, they go asking questions and, um, you know, oops, uh, had no idea they're going to fall in front of that uh, train and subway. Or, you know. And what makes it even, I guess, funnier and worse at the same time is is that another name that comes up as well with, with the Oklahoma City bombing is Tariqa Naylor Clinton. She's in the middle of that whole thing as well. Um, she's mm-hmm. kind of associated with, with that whole thing. But that that whole Yiki thing was was crazy, but there's actually a gentleman by the name of Craig Roberts that I've been trying to get a hold of. Um, we spoke a while back, but he actually wrote a book um, that's called The Medusa File. Uh, this would be the second part, I think it's called, mm-hmm. the second part. The Medusa File 2, and that's the the politics of terror and the Oklahoma City bombing, I think is what it's called. But he goes into like like deep into what happened prior to the bombing and why the bombing happened and, and like how Hillary is kind of involved as well. And then the officer Yiki as well. Now, Mr. Roberts is the officer who was assigned. He was like, a, I think he was a Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, police officer at the time mm-hmm. when that happened. And he got reassigned to the Oklahoma city bombing. And he was like working the whole case and stuff like that. So, um, we had plans to get together a while back, but he had to reschedule. And then like now he's having some issues with his internet and he had to get everything redone. So we're still waiting for that whole thing to kind of play out, but um, that's going to be coming down the pipe hopefully soon. So um, I'll have to put you in touch. So that way I'm sure he'd be willing, willing to share whatever kind of information he has. So um, I'll go ahead and reach yeah, out was- just, to, just to see if he's okay with that. I was uh, trying to find a way to contact him. I found a couple email addresses, but I don't know if they're like still legit or not. And there was an address and another article and I don't know. <laughs> it was, yeah. I was, I was reaching a lot of dead ends on that. So. Yeah. No, yeah. He's, he's in there. Um, I think we spoke about last week, I think so we're trying to figure out when he's free and stuff. He's extremely busy for, I mean, he's, he's retired, but he used to be like, in the military as well so he's got mm-hmm. a whole lot of stuff going on so it's it's kind of a weird thing but we're going to track him down um eventually and hopefully set it up so <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get that like in the works for everybody else as well but um yeah so i guess kind of like as we wind down here um 
I guess, kind of let everybody else know where they can find the rest of your work. Cause I know you have a website and you have a lot of articles and stuff that you go through in there as well, but um, just kind of where they can find the website and like any other social media they can find you on as well as, you know, they can get the books. Yeah. Uh, all my books are available on Amazon uh, ebook and print format. Um, I try to keep the ebooks as cheap as possible. Um, and um, yeah, I've got the collapseexperiment.com. Uh, that's my website where I'm constantly sharing articles as to uh, where we're at in the collapse that we're experiencing. <laughs> it's uh, kind of the, yep. the theme of the website. And uh, I don't know, the last two years, if, if you don't think things aren't falling apart, I don't know what rock you've been living under, but um, yeah, the collapseexperiment.com. I also have a uh, collapse experiment podcast. Uh, I try to at least record on that every other day, if not every day during the week when I can. Uh, currently I'm working on reading through the great narrative, which is the uh, sequel to uh, COVID-19, the great reset by Klaus Schwab. Mm -hmm. uh, this one is like where they're trying to create the, the great narrative for, for taking us into the future. And uh, yeah, some of the stuff that they say in there and the arguments that they try to make and they're just, they seem to be way off in a lot of things. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's me reading and then I'll, I'll read something where I'm just like, where the hell did they get this? And I'll go on some rant and it's, I try to make uh, reading this book as entertaining as possible. And uh, it, it, it's, it's tough work. <laughs> it's oh, very yeah, dry. It's, <laughs> I bet. I bet. It's, it's weird. It's a lot of stuff that, it's kind of weird though, obviously. So, I mean, they put all this information out there and then they, they could, you know, they kind of give everybody the, the game plan before they actually implement anything. But it's like a lot of people that don't believe that like we're actually being taken down on purpose from within. Like, it's just, it's hard to, to like make people see, uh, especially when they, when they vote for Biden, but no, just kidding. <laughs> but it's like, People that vote for that voted for Biden just kind of like put their head in the sand and it's just like nothing's happening. It's just like, oh, he's the greatest president we've had and like the most votes uh, in history. And all it's just like, bro, come on, man. Like if you don't see what's going on right now, like I can't help you. You know, when when shit hits the fan and we're scrounging for food and dumpsters and stuff, I'm gonna I'll be coming for you. I'm gonna take your I'm gonna take your portions. That's what's gonna happen. But it's it's just crazy. It's just a lot of weird things that are going on um and it's not by accident it's it's all all deliberate you know i feel but yeah it's, i I, it's weird. I try to stay positive like the news today tulsa gabbard leaving the democratic party and i'm like okay there's there's definitely some some eyes opening here and people sure. are seeing some things but i'm i'm also really surprised that she didn't do that two years ago when they like totally screwed her out of the election and um but uh yeah she things like lost, that keep me hopeful but it's kind of weird she kamala harris lost to her out like in the debate <laughs> like early on she was she lost to her like completely there's no like there was no like comparison like she, right now it, it should be tulsi gabber that should be either president like i would i would have voted for her even mm -hmm. though I'm not a democrat but i would have voted for her I would have even wanted her as the vice president. She would have been amazing. Obviously, they would have freaking clipped her wings and they wouldn't have let her do a lot of stuff that she would want to do. But um, that she's like one woman that I could get behind when it when it comes to having the first female president. Like she would be the one. Obviously, she has like a lot of her own stuff that I don't agree with. She's kind of a war hawk as well. But but we can kind of get past that. We've always all we've been in like in wars for the last. 40 years like there was like a little gap in between vietnam and that but even even besides that we were like right back into another war but um so there's obviously a little things here and there that obviously that comes with every candidate but um you know she would she would have been like my first pick as far as like the first woman president but i don't think it's going to do much you know she, she left she left the Democratic Party, and they're all just like, "All right, we'll see you later." Like, it's not going to change much. Like, no, I get what she, I get what she's trying to do, and like, like what she wants to do, but it's not going to make a difference. But 
I guarantee you tomorrow, all you're going to hear about her is that she's racist and that she's this and that, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and that's it. Like, it's just going to go away. So um, that sucks, but that's where we are right now. I wish I could. I always make the joke that, that when I die, like I never want to come back to this plane of existence ever again. Like I just don't want to go somewhere else. Like let me, let me find like another galaxy somewhere and we'll be good. I don't want to come back here anymore. Screw this place, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Everybody nowadays, but whatever. But yeah. So um, for everybody that's watching right now, uh, we'll have all the links to the website and the podcast as well down below in the show notes for everybody. Um, as well as the links to the books, we'll have everything down below. I'll also have the links to the YouTube videos um, for the crash as well that we were talking about. There's two links in there, uh, the one from the Nightcrawler that you mentioned and the one from the accident as well. Um, you guys will let me know uh, when you see the video if you think it was like an actual legit explosion when the car was crashing or if there was you know some other kind of funny business. But um, you guys know where to hit me up with emails or you can just shoot me some comments in the comment section as well. Um, but Matt, I uh, really appreciate it, sir. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to stop in with us. Um, and it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed the book. I read it. And like I mentioned, I think it took me like two hours to get through it. Um, so it was a good one. We'll be looking forward to the next one as well. Um, hopefully we can have you back on in the future for that one as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having so, me. Oh yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate it. Um, uh, for everybody else, uh, really, really appreciate you guys stopping in. Like I mentioned before. Um, we will be going fast and furious over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Tuesday, we have Preston Dennett coming back on. Um, he has a new book. Uh, it's called Symmetry, so we'll be checking that out. And then next Wednesday, we'll ha be having uh, Charlie Robinson back um, on the 19th. Uh, we're going to be kind of discussing more as to the whole shit show that we are in currently and how fast it's going to take us to get to the bottom of the barrel. Um, it's going to be coming up pretty quick, so everybody be checking out for that. Um, and then we'll be also having uh, Mr. Jason McLean as well from Texas Front Porch, who's a good friend of the show. Uh, we'll be having him on as well, I think on the 20th. I think we're going to kind of nail that down, but I have to speak with him again. Um, but yeah, guys, I really appreciate you guys stopping in. Like I mentioned before, if you guys aren't already a subscriber, please consider hitting that subscribe button and giving us a thumbs up. That would really help us out with the algorithms, um, as well as clicking that bell icon so you guys don't miss an episode in the future, whether we go live or we post, you know, some other kind of videos as well. Uh, if you guys are wanting to check us out and you guys are on the go, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio and Amazon Music at Truth Defender Podcast. Um, if you guys want to shoot a question over to us, uh, questions for myself or our guests, or guest or topic recommendations, you can email us at thetruthdefender1776 at gmail.com. Everybody take it easy. Have a great weekend. We'll catch you guys on Tuesday. Everybody stay blessed. But most of all, stay frosty. Mm -hmm.